Well, once again, good morning, Crossroads. How are we doing this morning? Everybody good? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. We want to welcome you today, whether you're here at our Newburg campus, watching with us at our West campus, or with us online. We want to thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, like your host said, my name is uh, Ross. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm so thrilled to be with you today as we continue our series by design. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four is where we're gonna go. And while you're turning there, I gotta tell you, Ephesians is just an incredible book of the Bible. It's actually Paul writing to the church in a town called Ephesus. It's six chapters. The first three are very big theological ideas about the Christian faith, but then the last three are very practical on how to live out the Christian faith. And now, since we're in Ephesians chapter 4 today, I believe the takeaway is going to be very, very practical for us today on how to live and look a lot more like Jesus. Uh, hopefully you have it there. If not, we're going to have a really big uh, electronic Bible right here on this screen. It says this in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17 today. It says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to, be put, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If you're taking notes with me this morning on whatever campus you're at, you're taking notes, the title of this message today is The Real You, The Real You. Would you pray with me as we dive into the word today? Father, I thank you so much for every single person that is gathered here today, every single person that can hear my voice. God, I pray that today that you would help us to receive your word clearly and effectively. Lord, that you would help me to communicate your word clearly and effectively. And may we leave our time here together better then we came in. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Uh, real quick, whether you're at our West Campus or here at Newburgh, raise your hand real quick if you had a curfew growing up as a kid or a teenager. You had a curfew. Most of us in here, I would say, probably had a curfew. I remember when I was 16 years old and I had just gotten my license, the law in North Carolina said for the first six months you had a mandated curfew. It was nine o'clock, right? But I remember after those six months were up, I was so excited because my dad's curfew that he set for me was now 11 o'clock. I didn't have to live by the law. I was living by my, by my dad's rules now. I had a new curfew, 11 o'clock. And the first Friday night ever, I was hanging out with my friends with my new curfew at 11. And I was so excited. I was so pumped. I went over to a friend's house. There were some of my buddies, some of my boys there. You know, there were some girls there too. You know, we were hanging out and we decided that night we were going to watch a movie. And uh, the movie ended around like 1030. And so I knew I had plenty of time to still get home before curfew. 
And so I, I went outside and I was talking with this, with this girl that I, I kind of liked, you know, and I thought maybe she kind of liked me, you know. We're standing by my 2001 Candy Apple Red Chevy Silverado heated leather seats. I was, I, we were just standing by the car and we were just talking, right? We were, we were only, we were only talking, okay, because you don't, maybe you don't know the house that I grew up in. Uh, no more than talking was allowed, okay? My parents would have killed me, and then my grandmother would have dug me up and then killed me again, okay? We were just, we were just talking, but I don't know what happened. I kind of just lost track of time after a while, and uh, I looked down at my phone and realized that it was already 1145. <laughs> And I knew I was in trouble. I said, hey, look, you're, you're, you're really cute and everything, but I gotta go. <laughs> I, uh, I said goodbye to her. I got in my car, I, you know, and I drove as fast as I possibly can in my truck all the way home. And I came in the side door as quietly as I possibly could. I took my keys and I put them in the little tray by the microwave because that's where the keys went. And as I was putting the keys into the tray, I hear a voice from the living room say, well, good evening, son scared me half to death. You know, I'm like, ah, you know, I turn around. My dad is looming in the dark. The lights are off and he's sitting on the couch in a robe, right? And I'm like, is this just for dramatic effect? You know, I'm wondering to myself, because my dad never wore a robe. The first thought I had was, dad, what in the world are you wearing? Are you just trying to intimidate me? The second thought I had was, I'm about to die in a Mortal Kombat finishing move. This is what's going to happen. My dad says to me, son, why don't, you, why don't you come over here and sit on the couch beside me? I said, okay, dad. You know, my dad to me was always such a, a larger than life kind of person, which is funny because my dad's only five foot three. <laughs> but my dad always seemed, I, I don't know, maybe just because, you know, he was my dad, you know, he always seemed taller than me. His hands, they always seemed a little bit bigger than mine. His, his voice always seemed a little bit deeper than mine was. And especially when I was in trouble, you know, it always seemed, I don't know why, but it seems like every time you're in trouble, your voice tends to go up a few octaves, you know. My dad says, come and sit by the couch, you know, with me. And he starts asking me some questions. He says, son, did you have a good time tonight? You know, and I'm like, uh, yeah, dad, had a really good time. Just hanging out with some friends, you know, kind of lost track of time. Sorry, we were just talking. <laughs> My dad said, well, son, I, I, um, I just want to know why, why, were, why were you late, you know? And I'm like, just lost track of time, dad, you know, just I'm still a good little boy, you know? My dad starts asking me some questions, then he, and then he begins to talk, and it's one of those moments where you realize, okay, it, it's time to shut up and start an stop answering questions and just listen, because dad is talking now. My dad begins to talk to me, and he says, son, you know that I... I raised you better than this. You know that you weren't raised that way. You're not the type of person who comes home after curfew. You're not the kind of person who hangs out with people who are a bad influence on you, son. And my dad looked at me, he goes, those keys are gonna stay in that tray for a week because you're not driving anywhere. <laughs> but then he said something to me I will never ever forget. He says, son, that's not who you are. He says, son, be who you really are. Be who you really are. This was such a defining moment for me, and I didn't know it at the time, but I look back on this story and I realized, man, how awesome was it that I had somebody in my life who sat me down and reminded me of who I really am.
of who I really am. And I don't know, maybe you didn't grow up the way that I did, you know, but, but maybe, just maybe, every single one of us can count ourselves blessed today because through the scripture that we're reading today in Ephesians chapter four, we have God speaking to us, sitting on the couch of our life, reminding you and I, if we are in Jesus Christ, who we really are. Again, this is Paul talking to the Ephesians. Actually, it's the church in Ephesians. So you have to remember that his audience are Christ followers. They are believers. And Paul is going to unpack this thing that he's trying to get them to understand in typical Hebrew form. You see, a, a, an ancient Hebrew often when arguing a point would go from the negative first then to the positive, and I just want to warn you, it's about to get really negative as Paul outlines the gory details of what life is like apart from God. Check out what the Bible says halfway through now, verse 17. He's speaking to the church. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. If you're taking notes with me this morning, point one of this message is simply this. The real you is not the old you. The real you is not the old you. Remember now, we're gonna go from negative to positive. The first thing that Paul says is don't act like the Gentiles do. Who are Gentiles? They are people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. They are non-believers. They do not know a life with Jesus. He says, because they are subject to the futility of their minds. The word futility here, what does it mean? It means an aimlessness, a pointlessness, a purposeless life. It's a life completely void of calling and purpose and fulfillment. Paul is saying here, you have brains. You, you actually, before you knew Jesus, you have a mind, but you were unable to comprehend that which your mind was designed for because you were living a life of sin and sin produces a malfunction of the mind. This is why I believe so many people are frustrated with God and with faith just in general because mentally it is impossible to comprehend God unless God intervenes in your life. Now if you think that's dark and scary, it's about to get even worse in verse 18. He says your understanding before you knew Jesus was darkened, meaning it, you were in the dark. You were blinded to the things of God. You were spiritually blinded to the big picture. You were spiritually blinded to the grand design. So your life was not about the things that you cannot see. That's what faith is, the Bible says. But actually, your life was about the things that you only can see, the here and now. And many of us, we get caught up in this today, don't we? We start focusing on the things that we can control, that we can see, things such as our savings account, our checking account, how big our house is, how excited 
we are about the vacation that we're about to take. Paul is saying that you were unaware and unable to actually take a step back and see that there are more important things going on than just how excited you are to take your boat on the water this summer. There are so much more things at play here than just how many Instagram followers you have. He says that you were unable to take a step back, see the bigger picture, and see that in fact there is a God, and he does care about you, and he does see you where you're at. He does see the pain that you go through. He does see what you struggle with, and he does have a plan, and he does have a purpose, and he wants to give you a hope, and he wants to give you a future, and he has a design for your life. But you and I were unable to see that before we encountered Jesus. We were in the dark. Again, listen to the language he uses. He says you were alienated from God. You were just, you were separated from him. You were callous towards him. You were indifferent towards him. He even says that your heart was hardened. We say all the time in the church, Jesus saves. From what? From that. Now, if I was to close out this message right now and say, hey, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray. Some of you would be wondering, okay, when does Phil get here? (laughs) Because so far, this message has seemed pretty dark, pretty gloomy, and pretty hopeless. But all of a sudden, Paul takes a little bit of a turn in verse 20, and he says this, but... That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, I just, we gotta talk about something here for, for just a second. And I believe as we look at this scripture, it begs the question that maybe you and I need to ask ourselves today. How did you learn about Jesus? How did you learn him? Because according to what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter four, how you learned about Jesus is a really, really big deal. I gotta tell you, I, um, I'm working now on a decade of being in ministry full time. And all of that has been in family ministries, whether with kids, or whether with middle schoolers, or whether with high schoolers. That's my whole career. And time after time after time again, my wife, Nikki, and I were always counseling young people on their relationships. And oftentimes, I'll tell you, the story plays out so often. I have a young lady who will come into my office, and she's so excited about this boy that she just knows, and she's so excited. She'll come in and go, oh, Pastor Ross, I gotta tell you about this boy. He's so gorgeous. He's so handsome. I just love him and I wanna marry him, and when I see him in church and he's worshiping Jesus, I just, mm, I can't. And usually I'll say, okay, sweetheart, let's calm down, let's calm down for a second, okay. What do you know about him? Oh, I just know so much about him because I follow him on Facebook and Instagram, and I've seen where he lives, and actually I realize it's in the same neighborhood as where my friend lives, and I walked by his house one time, and I maybe was trying to look through the window and see what was going on, you know, but it was, it was fine. Like, he, I know where he lives, and we have so much in common. He has a dog. I have a dog. Like, oh my goodness, he plays baseball. I've seen baseball on TV before. He's so gorgeous, and I just want to marry him. I just know that I'm destined to be his girlfriend. And I'll say, sweetheart, it sounds like you know a lot about him, 
but you don't actually know him. That doesn't make you his girlfriend. That makes you his stalker. (laughs) See, what Paul is trying to get us to understand here today is that there is a very big difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. I'm a huge North Carolina State Wolfpack fan. I love Jimmy V. I love Jimmy Valvano. He was the coach of our team when we won the national championship in 1983. And now he has the Jimmy, they have the Jimmy V Foundation to support cancer. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, I, I, I know a lot about the 1983 team. I know a lot about Jimmy Valvano. I've seen documentaries. I've read books, but I never met him. In fact, all this happened before I was ever born. <laughs> I know a lot about him, but I don't, I don't know him. What Paul is saying is there's a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. See, if you know a lot about Jesus, you have what's called a religion. And if you know Jesus, you have a relationship with him. What Paul is trying to point out is that religion is predicated upon knowing about Jesus, adhering to his teachings, his doctrine, his dogma. But actually Christianity is having a relationship with him and knowing him. And then you can almost hear Paul's tone. He goes, assuming though that we're talking about the same guy, assuming that you met the same Jesus that I met, are we, are we really talking about the same guy? Because you have to understand that Paul is the artist formerly known as Saul. Saul was a Christian killer, and on his way to go kill more Christians, he has an encounter with Jesus, the real, living, breathing Savior of the world, knocks him off his animal and blinds him. He knows that Jesus is not an ideal, a concept, or a commodity. He's saying, do you know the Jesus that I know? Because this is not a religion. Religion, this is a real person. He's a real, living, breathing God. And he is the one who came for you and for me. He's not the guy who came for a moral makeover to take you from bad to good. He's the one who came for a spiritual takeover. He wants to take us from death to life. This is the God that we serve. He is the God who knew no sin, yet he became sin so that you and I could simply just accept the love that he gives and we have eternity forever with him. This is the God that I'm talking about. Are we talking about, we can clap, that's okay, it's okay to, to do that. I, I, you know, I, he's just saying, assuming we're talking about the same guy. Because we got to get on the same page because what I'm about to tell you next is going to seem really odd if we're not on the same page. Check out what he says now in verse 22 through 24. He says, put off your old self. Everybody say old self. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Everybody say new self. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, if you're taking notes with me this morning, point two of the message is this. The real you is the new you. Number one, the real you is not the old you. Number two, the real you is the new you. 
Paul is saying, assuming we're on the same page now, it's time to shed what's dead. It's time to take off the old life, the not real you, and put on the new life, the, the real you. You wanna know what I love about Christianity? Is that you don't change in order to become a Christian. No, I, I change because I am a Christian. I don't do good things so God will love me. I do good things because I know that he does. I'm not obligated, I'm free. I'm not obligated to live in my old, dead, not the real me self anymore. I'm now free to take off that old way of talking, that old way of living, that old way of thinking, the old way of treating people to do what, to be what, to be who I really am. Who I really am is saved, set free, transformed, made new. So I don't know, maybe you're listening to this message this morning and you're thinking, okay, Ross, so what you're saying is, because I gave my life over to Jesus, right, it's pretty obvious what you're saying. I'm supposed to take all the dead, the bad things that I do, take it off, get rid of that, and put on the real me, the new me, all the things of God. Great, got it, sweet, awesome. Real quick though, how do, how do I do that? There's a scripture in Proverbs chapter 26 that I wanna to bring to your attention today. It's very encouraging. <laughs> it says this, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. What is Paul saying here in Ephesians chapter four, knowing that these are believers who know what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 26? He's saying, why would you, like a dog, go back to that old life, go back to what your system has rejected? Many of us, we would look at this scripture and we go, oh, that's crazy, yeah, I would never, I would never do that. The problem is though, we do that all the time. Maybe you don't, I know I do. Like I'm supposed to be like a, a real like Christian, okay, because I'm a, I'm a pastor. I have a license that says Reverend William Ross Langston. I have a, a plaque in my office. It sits up on a shelf that says I have a degree in this stuff, right? Like I have a license, I can marry you. Not like marry you, but like if you had somebody else, like I could, you know what I mean? Like. I, I, I'm supposed to be the pastor, the guy up here on the stage, like I'm the professional Christian up here. Yet day after day, time after time again, I look at this mental vomit, this emotional, this visible vomit, and I go, looks appetizing. What? Why can't you and I stay committed? Why can't we do what we say we want to do? Why can't we live in the real us, the new us? Why can't we do this? Why do we keep going back? Paul says it all hinges on what's between verses 22 and 24. What's between verses 22 and 24, you'll never believe this, is verse 23. 
I know, don't be intimidated. I study this stuff a lot. Um, I went to school for it. It's just, it takes hours, guys. Verse 23, check out what the Bible says. This is the difference between your old self and your new self. How do you get from being old to new? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now check this out. This is so good, this is so good. We started with, before Jesus, you were subject to the futility of your mind, and now we're talking about being renewed in your mind. This is an external metaphor, but don't get caught up in the external metaphor of taking off and putting on. We're not actually taking off and putting on external things. Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago, if you were here, that God cares a lot more about the internal things. He wants to change you from the inside out, not the outside in. This isn't behavior modification. This is soul transformation. What we're talking about here, going from old to new, taking off who you used to be, and putting on who you really are is a matter of the mind. Change your mind. Change your attitude. Change your thoughts. There's a very popular verse in Romans chapter 12, verse two, and it says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's crazy how the Bible just works like that. And notice it says renewing, like this is an ongoing process. We'll never actually get there, we're all a work in progress. Point one of the message. The real you is not the old you. Point two, the real you is the new you. Now check this out, point three. The real you is designed for display. The real you, the new you, is designed for display. I have a little bit of a confession to make, and for those of you who actually know who I am, this is not much of a confession. I like to shop. I do, right? I, uh, and I've recently found out that I don't necessarily like to shop as much as I do. I enjoy going to the mall. I actually enjoy like the process of going to store after store after store, I, I found this out because this is what I usually do. I know that like I don't have money to spend. I, I tell myself, I'm gonna go to the mall. I'm not gonna spend any money though. I'm just gonna hang out, I'm just gonna look. I'm not gonna spend any money. And then I walk by a store and I see a mannequin through the window on display and I go, ooh, that would look good on me. <laughs> and then what do I do? I make the decision to go inside because I believe that there is more in store. It gives me just a little bit of a preview of what's to come. What's the point of that? Before Jesus, remember, you, you were darkened, you were lost in the futility of your mind. You, you were living a life of no calling, no purpose, no design. But after you meet Jesus, right now we have new calling, new purpose, new design. What is that purpose? That purpose is to be like a mannequin and go on display. Go on display. This is our job now. And whether you think so or not, if you are a Christian in the room, you call yourself a Christ follower, whether you think it or not, your life is on display right now. And as the world is looking at your life like I was looking at the mannequin, 
They're making a decision to go, ooh, that would look good on me. And they believe that there's more in store for them, so they go in. Or they're looking at your life and go, that doesn't look good at all. I'm going to keep moving. What is the point of me using this whole thing? You know, why are we talking about this? Now that we've established that you are like a mannequin and you're supposed to go on display, right? You and I are mannequins. I have a question to ask you this morning. And if you haven't heard anything else I have said today, you have to tune in for just this very last part. I wanna ask you the same question that I was thinking in my head when I saw my dad after coming in after curfew as he was sitting on the couch in his room robe, I asked him the same question I want to ask you today. What in the world are you wearing? Check it out, though. Maybe some of you didn't catch it. Hang on. This is so good. What in the world are you still wearing? Because that's not the real you. That's the old you. It's time to take off the old you. Take off the worldly things. Put on the new you, the things of God. That is the real you. At this time in our service, if you are watching at our West Campus, I'm gonna pass things off to Kelly, your host. She's gonna take things from there. But if you're still here with us at Newburgh or watching with us online, we're not done yet. Our best work is about to happen. And I'm so excited about the way that we're closing out the service here today. I want you to check this out. In, 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 the, in every single row, there are these cards that say, the old you and the new you. And you'll see there's a blank. And right now, I don't even want you to hesitate, even as I'm talking, maybe you've been thinking about this as I'm preaching this message. You know exactly what the thing is that you are tempted to always go back to. You know what your vomit is. You know the old you. Maybe it's the thing you keep going back to that you're ashamed of. Maybe it's the thing, maybe it's just in your mind. But today, I'm gonna ask you, go ahead and take a pen that's in the seat back in front of you or if you're watching with us online, I would encourage you to talk to, a, to your online host about this. Write down, what's the thing that you keep going back to? What's the old you? That's not the real you, but you just keep doing it. Maybe for some of you in here today, you need to write down, take off, the, take off anger and put on joy. Maybe for some of you in here today, it's to take off anxiety and put on peace. Maybe for some of you, it's to take off lust and put on accountability in your life. Whatever it is, take the time now, write that down, whatever it may be. What's the old you you feel so tempted to go back to time and time again? What do you need to take off and what do you need to put on? What do you need to replace it with? As you're writing that down, I think it's simple for us to just go, okay, I get the message, Ross. Take off the old me. Put on the new me, the real me, and go on display. Great. That's a great 
really cute message. I can understand that. As a staff, this whole week, we were talking about how we were gonna close out this moment though, right? Like, okay, really cool idea. We're gonna have them write down the old, the old you and put down the new you. Like, that's gonna be so good. Like, what are they? Then, then what, we just walk out? And I, I mean, it started on Tuesday. We were off on Monday because it was Memorial Day. It started on Tuesday. I'm walking around the office and I'm going, this isn't good enough. Just write it down and then what? Slip it in your Bible and forget about it or throw it in the trash on the way out. Like even if we had you like stand up to your seat and like come lay it at the altar or nail it to a cross, like that's cute and everything, but that's, that negates what we're here for. Like I could give you this message online and you could just watch it. Like you could listen to it in your car, but we are actually here for a reason. May we never forget why we gather together. This is intentional, friends. This is on purpose. This is by design. What do I do today though if I, I just keep going back to the same old thing time and time and time again. I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind, but how do I do that? I'll tell you how. It's a group project. It's a group project. And so here in just a moment, I'm gonna ask every single person in this room to do something that's gonna make some of us uncomfortable. But maybe we need to get uncomfortable. Maybe if, it, if it's what it takes, isn't it worth it? In just a moment, what I'm gonna ask you to do is to actually take that card and trade it with somebody else. And so maybe that's easy for you today because you're here with a loved one. Maybe that's not easy for you today because you're here with a loved one. Or maybe there's just someone around you, maybe you're sitting by yourself and you see them, they're sitting by themselves, but maybe that's also not an accident. Maybe that's on purpose. I would encourage you today, you need, you need to trade this with somebody. You need to have somebody in your life, whether you text it to them, you take a picture of it, you walk out of here, that's fine if you walk out of here, but here's what I know, every second that you walk out of here, this decision gets more and more difficult. I think it's important for us to make a trade today, to tell somebody else, hey, I need you and you need me. Like, I don't know what sometimes we think this is, but we have a reason why we gather together. This is not a lecture hall. I'm not an entertainer. I'm not up here giving you a speech. I am a fellow Jesus follower just like you, and I need you and you need me. I live in the same community you do. I go to the same church that you do, and I'm here to tell you that we need each other, that we're in this thing together and together if we can link arms and we can walk side by side we can say you know what I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind and it is a group pro project I'm not on my own in this thing but I have people who are with me who are walking with me who are helping me along the journey we need each other so we got to do what we got to do if I got to trade and I don't really want anybody to see what I just wrote down but I'm gonna do it anyway 
I don't want to text people day after day after day and ask them how they're doing and then ask me how I'm doing. But if it's what I got to do, it's what I got to do. If we got to go get coffee and talk about it, if we got to exchange numbers, if we got to exchange emails, we've got to do it because it's just not enough to say, you know what? I'm just, I'm making up my mind. Gonna take off the old me, put on the new me because I know me. And what I do time and time again is I go back to my old self. But you know what's helped me? My friends, my wife, my small group, my community. When they see me going back to my old self, they go, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Remember what you said. Remember what we said we were doing here. Today, I hope and pray that you would not walk out of this room without having that moment with someone. Where you go, no, no, no. I'm gonna call you on your stuff. You're gonna call me on mine. We're in this thing together. We're helping each other be the real us. I wanna pray with you and when I do, Feel free, take your time. This is not, they're gonna sing a song. This is not necessarily the time to stand up and start worshiping. Take the time to talk to somebody. Exchange numbers, pray with each other. This is real church right here. This is what it is. I'm gonna pray for you now, come on. Jesus, I thank you so much that your design was the church. Not to just come and be uplifted and encouraged by a message, but actually to be encouraged and lifted up by the people around us. So Father, I pray that you would give us boldness now in the next few moments to make an uncomfortable trade representative of the uncomfortable trade that you made for us when you gave your life for our dead, sinful lives so that we could have life eternal. But help us now to work together on this thing as you're renewing us, our minds, as you're making us new. It's in your name I pray. Amen.